Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and to learn from your word. We ask for your guidance and leading as we go through it. In your son's precious name, amen. To the chief musician in Neganaf, a psalm or song of Asaph. In Judah is God known, his name is great in Israel, in Salem also is his tabernacle, and his dwelling place in Zion. There broke he the arrows of the bow, the shield and the sword, the battle, Selah. You are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of praise. Pray, the stout-hearted are spoiled, they have slept the sleep. And none of the men of might have found their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Judah, of, of Jacob, excuse me, both the chariot and horses are cast into a dead sleep. You, even you, are, the, are to be feared, and who may stand in your sight when one, once you are angry? You did cause judgment to be heard from heaven and earth feared and was still. When God arose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth, Selah, Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. The remainder of wrath shall you restrain. Bow and pay unto the Lord your God. Let all that be around him, about him, bring presents unto him that ought to be feared. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is terrible to the kings of the earth. All right, we'll get started now. Verse 1. In Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. This goes to all the prejudice that the Jews have about they're the ones that know God. Okay, and what's really interesting is it's said here in Judah is God known and his name is great in Israel. But so many times that is not true in Israel. In the, histor- in the history, in the, bil- in the Bible, nor even in the present day. Many of the Jews are very much practical atheists. They believe, they, they believe in a God per se, but, that, but it's a God that has nothing to do with this world. And yet, in this psalm, he's saying, God is, God is great. His name is great. So he says, God, God is known. His name is great in Israel as he's supposed to be. And this is a testimony of how he's supposed to be. In Salem, which is another name for Jerusalem, and that is what Jerusalem was called when they conquered it. It was called Salem, which means peace. And Salem is his tabernacle, and his dwelling place is in Zion. And Zion's another name for the mountain that Jerusalem sits on, which is where Mount Calvary is, Mount Moriah, where all that area has got many names. Abraham went to offer Isaac. He's there, he's talking about how great God is supposed to be in, the, in Jerusalem. And remember, all the people of Israel were to go to Jerusalem three times, or not all the people, all the men of Jews of Israel were to gather together three times a year in Jerusalem where the temple and the tabernacle was going to stay. And that was to offer their sacrifices. So the three times a year that all the men were to serve, go to God. And it's also called the city of David in the scriptures. So when you read the city of David, it's referring to Jerusalem. Uh, so there's all these different names that we want to be kind of aware of. Different names that mean the same, <laughs> same place. And it can be very confusing until you learned and, and started somebody kind of going over. That's why I keep repeating these multiple names so that you get... Yeah, I have to learn from somebody telling me, not by reading Right, it. right. Uh, another name for Zion would be the Hill of God, or you know, the song we sang this morning. Great is, uh, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the mountain of his holiness in the uh, city of his righteousness. Beautiful for situation is the Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. 
that's all talking about Jerusalem. <laughs> so it's, it's very, again, you're right, it is confusing. And when you first started, it is very confusing until you start getting it taught to you that these are all the same places because you know, you're reading along and go, well, where the heck is Salem and why is the tabernacles in, yeah. in, in Salem? Well, because that's just another name for Jerusalem. Like it's a thing last week, like I didn't know horn meant power. Power. I thought horn was power and dominion, kingdoms. And this is why we all need teachers at some time because how did I learn all this stuff? I was taught this stuff over over time and period period of time. And so I'm trying to express to you, everybody else, these truths that you can be able to build upon. Oh, that's you do it. <laughs> oh no, I was taught it. I was taught it also. And you learn it by studying the other books and, and drawing them together, but usually somebody else teaches you before you draw it in yourself. So he's saying that God is to be known, exalted, and his dwelling place in Zion. The temple was put into Zion. And before that, it was in Shiloh. And before that, it wandered all over the place. <laughs> so but people were to gather together for worship. And he's lifting up God lifting up God's name into people. And it says, There he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and the sword, and the battle. This goes back into the history when David took Jerusalem away from the enemy. And this is why it's called the city of David, because it sits on a mountain. It's in, Jerusalem is a very easily, or especially in the old days, easily defended city. It's a big walled city at the top of a hill. <laughs> So people have to come up to attack, and it's, it's difficult to attack a walled city anyway. And when you're coming up, it's hard to throw the big rocks the high, you know, upward and, and all the stuff that was involved in it. And they had a very hard time, and David's, David's men took it. And he's, here he's making reference to the fact that, they, that God is the one who gave them the city. Because it really is a hard city to conquer. But it was an easier battle than it probably should have been because God gave him the city. Just as Jericho was a battle that was much easier than it should have been. You march around the city for seven days and the, and the walls fell down. It makes a very easy conquer. Uh, AI, after, after they got done trying to do it their way, was an easy conquer because God gave them the battle plan. And this is the thing, God has given them victory after victory after victory. And even in today's world, the Jews have been getting victories in Israel that should not have happened. Uh, there's all kinds of stories of the, the enemies that they're fighting surrendering to two and three men because they, what they saw was more than the two or three men. And the two or three men would be amazed. You know, the, the entire, you know, 300 people surrendering to them. And it's like, there's just the three of them. That's like when the guy looked up and saw these chariots. Saw the angels and being surrounded. And I'm sure that's what they're seeing. They're seeing, they're seeing that they're surrounded, you know, by, and they don't understand it, so they surrender. God is doing miracles still to this day for Israel. Uh, and we've had, you know, there's all kinds of reports of planes falling out of skies, missiles falling out of the sky without anybody attacking them just because God is defending them and has, has and will in the future be defending them. And so this is, this is a big thing. It says you broke the arrows of the bow. And these arrows are literally, when you look it up, flaming arrows. They're the, you know, the ones that are not just standard arrows. You know, he says you, and the shield, and the sword. And, and then he goes on, and if that wasn't enough, if, it, if all the weaponry isn't enough, he also broke, he broke the battle and just, God is showing his power and, 
Asaph is praising God's power, God's ability. And this is one thing I'm hoping that we're all beginning more and more to understand is how powerful God is and how much he protects us and how much he blesses us. And I love hearing the testimonies of people when they talk about the, the blessings that God has given them, you know, the, the, just the way he provides for them. Mark was telling us the other day about all those blessings on how he got back, you know, his car broke down, which wasn't a blessing, but how God took care of getting him to the place, home, getting back to the store and all this stuff. Uh, you know, Sharon has shared about her blessings as she's turned more and more of her life over to God. And Amy's done the same thing. She shared how much God is blessing her as she's turned more and more of her life. I mean, uh, I just, I love hearing that because I love to see the power of God working. But all these things that God is doing and, and changing lives and... You know, I mean, just little things to me mean a lot. I yeah. mean, because I get so flustered on some things. And I've heard it both from Loretta and Annie both, how much they're really starting to get into God's word and see more than they've ever seen in their in their lives, and I just love what, the way God is working around. All right, verse 4, you are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. And this is wonderful. You are more glorious. Luminous is what it really means, you know, bright. And more excellent, majestic, than the mountains of prey. Mountains with all the food and everything. God is better, you know, and do you realize that this needs to be our truth, that God is always better, better than anything that we can think of, better than anything we can imagine as great. And the longer we walk with him, the less important other things become to us and the more important God becomes to us. And then he blesses us. And, you know, you know this is one of the things I was telling somebody that were asking me about my, about my new job. And I'm going, the best thing about it is God has let me live by faith and, and not knowing where anything was coming for three years. And now he's blessed me with, because we were honoring him during that time. We gave our, yeah. we gave our tithes. We increased our tithes like I, I do every year, you know, with the offerings. And God has now opened it up, opened up the finances. If he takes it away, I already know that he's still going to provide later on. But right now he's opened it up and praise God, it's there. And this is the important thing. When we're faithful in one area, God will raise and bless us as we go forward in that faithfulness. And this will happen every time. Every time he'll do this. And it says he's, he's more, more glorious, more excellent. And no matter how big, you know, and this is what I keep saying, no matter how big we think God is, he's bigger. However, however generous we think God is, he's more generous. However knowledgeable he is, he's, we think he is, he's more knowledgeable. Okay, God is always bigger than what we can think of because he is infinitely. He is infinitely more than anything we can think of. That's what's amazing. And our minds can only comprehend you know, so much. And there's a lot of things our mind can't comprehend. You know, we can't comprehend how big God is. Because however big you think he is, he's bigger. However you know, smart you think he is, he's smarter. Uh, you know, and however powerful you think he is, he's more than that. Because he is more than anything we can comprehend in because we have limited capacity in our brain. We talk about things like an eternity. We have no concept of what eternity is. You know, because we think of whatever the biggest number or biggest size that we can think of is, and yet eternity or infinity is, is more than that. And it's hard, we can't understand it. 
And even when we get to heaven, we may not fully understand it. I don't, I'm not one that thinks that we're going to learn everything there is to learn the moment we step into heaven. I've never believed that. I believe that learning is part of what we will do for eternity. We will learn about God for eternity and never get to know all about God because he is so much inf more infinite. There's going to be so much about God we wonder about now and we should have answers for that we instantly won't care. It's just irrelevant and immaterial when we get there, I think. Uh, yeah, I love it when people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about this. And I'm going, you probably aren't going to give a darn about it when you yeah. get to heaven. <laughs> you're not going to care about it at all. Oh, There's going to be so much more that you're going to care about and try to figure out. Yeah, look at, look at these wonderful streets. Look at the, look at the sky. But C.S. Lewis talked about how heaven was going to be all the best of this world, but even better. You know, whatever we think is the best of this world will be, be there and it will be, you know, we can't, we can't really comprehend what heaven's going to be like. The descriptions we have are such Nobody pale, really yeah. such yeah. pale pictures of what, what heaven is. And, you know, one of the descriptions I, I've heard, you know, that, you know, they use in some of the Christian movies is trying to describe heaven is trying, to, like trying to s describe snow to somebody from the equator. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's white stuff that falls from the from the sky. Oh, you mean ash from the volcano? No, no, no. This is cold, you know. <laughs> oh, you know, but you know, it is true. You don't understand what it is. There's nothing. There can't not be words to describe the perfection and the glory of heaven. But it is true. I mean, if you grow up in the tropics, you have no concept of what snow is, uh, and and so this is this is something that is a and and if you're in the you know the um, the Eskimo Indians have multiple words for snow. You know, more. You know, for us, we we have you know, few words for snow, but they have what was it, twenty-seven words or something for snow, and all the you know for each type and you know snow and. Well, get into this whole thing about God and how precious and glorious He is, and we don't even begin to fully understand how precious and glorious He is. You know, mm -hmm. we get a touch of it when we're in the middle of a service and the spirit comes down in it and we get that real freshness of God in that presence. I've seen it to greater and lesser degrees over the years where sometimes I just know God's there and I just know it's just a taste of what heaven's going to be like. The tiniest taste. And it would be like the flower cracker. No, hardly any flavor to it, but it's a taste. And it's still so good that I just can't wait to find out what heaven is really going to be like and it has been said that you know because people have made it you know said that you know why can't God just bring everybody into heaven well you know if the lost person was to enter heaven it would probably be held to them anyway because they don't want that presence they don't want that love they haven't wanted it they didn't want to taste it on earth and to give them the fulfillment of it would probably be disastrous to them because they're not in the right spirit we as Christians have drawn his spirit in and he's changing who we are. And he's changing us at a very core level. Okay, He's changing us right in our middle of our inner heart and everything so that we want him. We want the word. We want that fellowship. We want that relationship with him. And it's almost changing the DNA. It would be like changing the DNA if they don't I'm know. I'm into science fiction. Every once in a while you get these shows where they change the DNA and change the human into something Else, well, that is really what God is doing to us in our spiritual level. He's changing who we are at the spirit level and changing us to somebody that is 
spiritually in tune with him and ready to accept that. You can come to church ready to hear from God or you can come to church just because it's something you've got to do and it's going to be same message being preached. One's going to be amazingly touched by that message because they came to hear from God and the other one's going to go, ah, oh, well, I had an okay time, you know. But it's the same message, same songs, <laughs> same spirit in there. But God is not going to sit there and say, make you fellowship with me. But I have learned over the years, I don't care who's speaking. If they're speaking and, they're, and God has put them there, I'm going to learn something from them. You know, learn something because God, I'm going there to hear from God. And that person or the singer or somebody is going to say something that is going to touch me that day. So, uh, verse 5. The stout-hearted are spoiled. They have slept their sleep, and none of the men of the might have found their hands. This is coming, still coming off of this whole bit about the battles being broken. The stout-hearted. This is the mighty in their spirit. Okay, this is the people that can't be, that may not be the strongest guys in the army, but they're going to be the ones that they don't run, they don't, they don't, you know, they're ready to fight. Their, their, inner, their inner being is strong. And so this could be the way we are supposed to be as Christians. Where God is inside us, he keeps us strong. You know, we need to realize that he is in us. We, we don't need to be afraid of anything that comes our way. When people, when we talk to people, we don't need to be afraid of them. Uh, what's really funny is when you watch somebody witness to somebody who may be an intellectual giant, and when God speaks through that 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 per, that person, they can God can make mincemeat out of that intellectual giant if it's with the like point. David you know, David and Goliath yeah. situation. The stout-hearted, the strong in the inner being, and it says the stout-hearted are spoiled. That means plundered. All right, they they're, they've got their their treasures taken away from them. And this is going to be the end result for the lost world. The lost world is going to be plundered, whether it's on this earth or in eternity when they're sent to hell. They're going to lose everything they think they've got. And this is something we need to realize. This is why we've got to witness to people is because hell is a terrible punishment for a, for a very long time. And then hell is not a temporary thing. It's not a short-term short -term, uh, punishment. It is eternity that they'll spend separated from God in punishment and not a nice punishment. The worm that turns, your conscience saying, you know, convicting you of every time that you had forsaken him. The, the burning fire that doesn't consume. Yeah. Can you imagine, you know, each one of us have burned ourselves at some point and being able to pull away from it. Hell, you can't pull away from it. It's going to burn. And yet it's going to be dark. It's a heat and flame that has no light, no love, no compassion, just angerness and bitterness and hatred for eternity. It's going to be a terrible place to spend eternity. And knowing that you chose to be there. Playing it over and over in your mind, all the stuff that you, you did, times you did, rejected him. They're going to be spoiled. They have slept their sleep. They've, they've kept themselves in a stupor. And we've all probably been there where we didn't get enough sleep the night before and you kind of stumble your way through the next day. You kind of just flounder around. This is what he's talking about. They, they are in that stupor. None of the men of might have found their hands. What does that mean? 
That means the strong have not been able to find their weapons. They have not been able to do anything. Uh, they have not even been able to defend themselves. And you can imagine what this would be if you're talking about a soldier who's used to defending himself. All of a sudden, this description of you can't even find your hands to defend yourself. You know, this is, you know, you're like been tied behind your back or something, or you just can't <laughs> even defend yourself as you're get, getting the blows. This is, this is going into God's victory. He's saying, you know, the stout-hearted have been plundered. The, the, you know, the rest of them are walking around in a stupor, and, and the mighty can't even get up and defend themselves because God is coming against them. And I don't know if you've ever seen somebody that's had that, or if you've been there maybe where you feel like nothing you've done is working. God likes to do that with his children sometimes, you know, so let us know that we're doing the wrong things. You know, everything goes wrong. <laughs> and when I, the biggest time when I went six years fighting with God, it was over planning and everything, and I would plan things, and they were good, and I know they were good plans because I'm a good planner, and yet none of the plans would work. That's because you thought she's too good. Well, God wasn't going to let them work. He wasn't, they were, I mean, and I know they were good plans. They were well laid out. They were good business plans. But God says, nope, they're not going to work. You're going to do it my way. You're doing it yourself. You know, and so, and this is, what, this is what this kind of verse is saying. You know, these are strong people. These are people that are used to defending themselves. And God's saying, I broke them. I broke them. And do you realize that God will break every enemy that comes your way when you're walking with him? David and Goliath was one of those great examples that you mentioned. Now, there was no way this little 14, 16, 18-year-old boy with a slingshot, right. with a sling, not a slingshot, should have been able to defeat the 9-foot-1 Goliath, who's been, been a warrior you know, from his youth. You know, he's, been, he's been big. He's beaten everybody. Nobody's come close to beating him. And this guy comes up to him without any armor and defeats him. Okay, this is the way God works. We face Goliaths all the time in our life. At least they look like Goliaths to us. And in Numbers, we talked about how the children of Israel, the 10 spies came back and said, you know, hey, there's giants in the land and, and uh, we look like grasshoppers. And then they said something that was very interesting and is not good, and we brought it up in Numbers class. They said, and so they see us. And so we are in their sight, I think is what it says in the King James. They assigned an attitude and a men mentality to the people. One of the worst things we can ever do is try to say this is what somebody else is thinking. Mm -hmm. yeah. And people do it all the time. Well, I think they must be thinking this, so it must be true. Now, they said this because... I think you know, saying, yeah. we, put our, we put a motive into their thinking. And you know what the sad thing is? Most of the time, we're wrong about the motive we assign to them. And we might find out sometime down the future, or if you get somebody who's hears a counselor hearing both sides, it's like, wow, if they would just get together and quit putting you know, what the other person's thinking, we'd be able to solve these problems real quick. It's really funny sometimes to be, in the, be the mediator between two people and hear both sides of a story. I don't know if you've ever been there, but you know, it's, it is so strange when you hear both sides of a story and you're going, all right, they're both saying the same thing. If we just get them together, they would be okay. 
you know, but you always get somebody going, well, they did this because this is what they were thinking, or I know that they meant this, even though they said this, and, and we start reacting not to what happened, but to the motive and, and thoughts that we assign to the person. And then there's a big battle because, not because anything was done or even, or even said, but because I have invented a whole new story to, the, to what happened. And it's, I put motives and you know, they, they, they did this because, and they said this, they really said this instead of that. And I'm not dealing with what happened, but I'm dealing with my own imaginations. But we look at the story of the children of Israel. What did they do? They turned away from God's promises because of their opinion of what they thought the people thought about them. And if they had only known, the people were terrified of them. Okay? The people were terrified because they knew what God had just done to Egypt, the strongest nation in the uh, empire in the world at that time. They were terrified that these people were coming in and that God was going to destroy them. And they were thinking, we look like grasshoppers to them. They, 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 they can just step on us and, and, and destroy us, and they know that. And they're terrified and probably going to run in battle. Okay? And yet Israel turns away from them and gets to wander 40 years in the wilderness because of their disobedience. How many times do we wander in the, de in, the, in the desert or the wilderness of spiritual life because we assign a motive to the, to the enemy that God's ready to destroy? And we turn away from that. All right, verse 6. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse are cast into a deep sleep. And you want to think about this. The chariot in this day was one of the strongest weapons that they had. It was fast. It was lethal. It had the armor around, you know, up, and some of them were really high up. You only saw the head of the, you know, barely saw the head and maybe the shoulders of somebody. Uh, you couldn't, you had to have a really good shot to be able, you know, with the arrow or sling to get them. And they had swords and everything attached to the wheels sometimes, and they would slice things as they're coming through. And they were equivalent to the big tanks of, of World War II that would just run over, run over the enemy and then turn around and come back over them again. And this is what a chariot was. And he says, at your rebuke, God, even the chariots and their horses stop. The strongest weapon they have at God's rebuke can stop. And even today, God's not afraid of missiles and rockets and jet planes. He can stop them just as easily as he could stop chariots in, in this day. We do not need to worry about the enemies. It's been said, and it is true, that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Where God wants you to be is safe. And that means if he tells you to go to the worst place you can think of, and he's telling you to be there, that's the safest place you could be. I've gone witnessing in the center of the uh, combat zone in Boston, which is the worst neighborhood. I've gone soul winning in Harlem, where it's not the best place for a white person to go to usually, but God's, God was putting us there to witness. No matter where you go, if God is in it and telling you to be there, if you're in the center of God's will, it is the perfect place to be because you're not going to die until he says so. And this is important for us to always remember. And this is why I love being a Christian, because God knows what my plan is, and he knows when it's the time for me to you know to die is going to be, and I'm not worried about it because when I die, I'm going to be in his presence and, I'll be, and it'll all be done. Paul did not worry about going to Rome and, and, and being executed by Nero. Matter of fact, he asked to go there. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. Okay, because he wanted to preach to the Caesar. <laughs> now, it didn't seem to do any good, but he wanted to preach to Caesar. Nero. Nero. To put that together for the first time, oh. I think. That's well, who he was wanting to get you to preach to. Nero was the one that, when they told us to obey the government, that's who they were talking about. Nero, who's out there to kill Christians. So, God can stop even the strongest weapons against us. Not a problem for God. He can stop anything. And as I mentioned earlier, in Israel, there's still these stories about missiles just falling out of the sky when they were being shot at him. And they've got great defenses as well, but God has not let them suffer greatly under, under these attacks because it's his people. And we're coming up on the day that Armageddon is going to come up when the whole world is coming against him and God's going to step in and just destroy army. You know, million-man army just going to be gone. Blood up to the necks of the horses. A little thing for God. And this is something for us always to understand. God is so much stronger than we give him credit for in our life a lot of times. Oh, yeah. I've heard somebody say, well, this problem's too small to take to God. Well, what problem in our life, our little puny lives here on earth, is going to be too big for God? You know, God, I want to give you my biggest problem. He can say, well, that's too little. I'm not going to deal with it. That's not the way he deals with us. He goes, he doesn't care if it's a problem to us. He cares about it. He wants to help us. And the problem with that patience is people think that he's forgetting us. You know, because his, his view is so much longer. 2,000 years to God is nothing, but to us it's generations. And people think, you know, think I'm getting away with something. I'm getting, you know, look what we're getting away with. He's, you know, but as it said, God hasn't, God hasn't closed the books. Last yeah. chapter God doesn't close the books. And, you know, it's just, and the greatest example would be, say you're a farmer. If you closed your books after you plowed the fields and planted the seed, you'd say, man, I had a lousy, you know, what a lousy businessman I am. If you closed your books while you're waiting for the stuff to grow, you're still going to say, what a lousy businessman I am. Yeah. You don't close the books on a farm until the harvest has been sold. Then you look and say, have I made money or not? Not right after you've sowed the seed, because you're not going to make money right after that. God does not close the books until we have died and stand in front of his presence. Hey, verse 7, you, even you, are to be feared, and who may stand in your sight when once you are angry? Okay, once he, and I think more on than this is not so much of these angry, but it says, you know, who's going to be able to stand up to God? You know, imagine if God did get angry. I mean, let's say God really got mad and lost his temper. He'd swat us. He wouldn't have to swat us. He'd just have to think us out of existence. Because we couldn't hide from him because he knows where we're at. You know, so, but it says, you are to be feared. Who can stand in your sight? If, when you're, if you got angry God, who would be able to even stand? This is more of a question, you know. No one. No one would be able to, you know. No one would be able. You did cause judgment to be heard from heaven, and the earth feared and was still. When God finally decides to move, nothing stands against him. When he moved in Noah's day, the whole world, it said that every imagination of the heart was evil. And God moved and he destroyed everybody. And I've told you, I've done calculations, and, and as long as their lives were, and figuring there was probably millions, billions, maybe even trillions of people alive at the time of the flood. And they were all doing what they thought was right, what they Amen. wanted. Much like where we're headed to in this world yeah. right now, where people are doing what they think is right.
and yeah. we are living very close I mean it may still have to get a little bit worse but we're very close to it because you start talking to people and they're doing what they think is right they're not looking at what God says is right and wrong they're trying to say there's no right and wrong they're trying to say there's no absolute truth and the strange thing is if you start talking to people especially in the cities and the and where the liberals really are under control it's pretty much believed that there are no rights and absolute right and wrong now, in the center, like in America, the, mid, the Midwest of the America, there's still some values and everything, but they're getting worse. And we're seeing God getting ready to move. I, mean, I, I have ceased trying to figure out why people can believe such diametrically <laughs> know, opposed views. No, and, I mean, when they, they swear by the universe. What's really interesting, when you talk to an atheist and you go, can I pray for you? And they'll go, yes. They don't believe in God, so why why are you why, why would they yeah. say pray? You know, if, to be honest, if I was an atheist and somebody says, "Can I pray for you?" I'd be telling them, "Well, you'd be wasting your time praying to your imaginary God." You know, yeah. uh, but it's it's come down to once you're deceived, when you're deceived, you can really believe all kinds of diametrically opposed. And it's amazing to me when I talk to people who are saying there's no absolute truth but you listen to them and they'll they because they don't believe there's absolute truth they can say opposite things and say they believe opposite things and when you question them about it they go that they really will tell you they have no problem with it so it it doesn't make any sense to me but it's even more it's even more than that you get people who like Loretta said don't believe in a Satan but they believe in a God mm -hmm. they believe that there's a heaven but, but no there's hell. no hell you know they'll you know, it is just, it is very strange you know, what people will, will, will believe and But how can once, they believe in one part and not? But you're ready to believe in the truth. You have no standard to be able to compare anything to. This is why it's so important for us to know the truth because without knowing the truth, we cannot know, we will not understand lies. And this is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father by, except by me. Yes. And when he, when he stood before Pilate and he says, I, you know, I am the truth, and Pilate's question is, what is truth? And he wasn't asking it as a question. He was a true Roman Greek men, mental, mentality. There is no such thing as truth. You know, we can't know truth. And this is where we are again today where we're saying you can't know truth. Plato and Aristotle were very much on this. You, we're trying to know truth and we can't know it. We can't figure it out because they didn't have a basis for truth. Yes, sir. These people are very into taking care of the water, mm -hmm. the earth, yeah. you know, the ground. and Even so to the point that man is worthless and deserves to be taken out. See, the problem, the problem with all of this is you've got to remember that they're motivated by Satan. I'm not saying they hear him talking, but yeah, everything. Yeah. he's the one that's behind all of this. And Satan, you've always got to remember, Satan hates people. We're created in God's image. He knows that we're created in his image. He tries hard to convince us that we're not created in, in the image of God, but he knows that we are. And because we're created in the image of God and can be redeemed, he hates mankind. And he is always trying to destroy man. Well, now, is that why, I know I'm asking that, but it sounds stupid, but 
is that why so many people are deceived by, like goodness now, they take care of the earth, the water, and you know, they're in, this is what, their daughter's even going to Berkeley. And the animals and everything else. Yeah. This is why you can go to, you can go to federal prison for, for destroying the egg of a bald eagle for, what is it, 10 or 15 years, but you can kill, you can kill a baby in the womb. Mm -hmm. Okay, Satan hates humanity. And he hates it with a passion. The, the strength of the green movement is that there's too many people on this world. It, there shouldn't be more than a quarter million people in this world. And they are willing, if they could pass the laws, they are willing to kill everybody else. Mm -hmm. And everybody in the world to get down, get down to that number. All of that is satanically motivated because Satan is trying to destroy mankind. Satan is behind the, the, the abortion industry to kill the children so that they are not born and cannot, cannot replenish the earth. He's out to, to destroy man. He wants wars to destroy man. He wants everybody that he can to take to hell. And again, we've talked about this, not because he's the ruler of hell, but because the more people he takes from God, the more he hurts God, because God is not wanting anybody to go to hell. So the more people he can get in hell with him in prison, the more he's hurt God. And that's his whole goal, to out there to hurt God and cause pain to God. Can I ask a question? Can Satan possibly believe that he has an escape from hell? Possibly. He's, he he, he's deceived himself. I mean, he knows the truth. He knows it. But I think in the back of his mind is this hope that somehow He's going to win. bypass and win. Uh, I can't, you know, I, they can't be proven, but you know, he's fighting awfully hard for somebody who knows his absolute desti destiny. But that also means that, you know, when you know that you have no way out, sometimes you you have a choice. You either completely surrender, or you say, "I'm just going to take out as many as much of the enemy as I can." In, in a last ditch battle that you think you're going to lose, but you're, you're at that right. point, I have nothing to lose, so I'm just going to go crazy on these people. And sometimes you win by going crazy on the people. You know, it's, well, he, like you say, he's the father of lies. Yeah. So, yeah. so he could be lied enough to himself yeah. to have deceived mm -hmm. himself. Is he just fighting last ditch, you know, corner, cornered animal who's fighting for everything they can to try to get out? Or is he truly believed that he might be able to be victorious? I think it's the first one myself. He's just fighting the last ditch, yeah. you know, I'm yeah, cornered, I'm cornered, I'm going to take as much out as I can in the process. He knows God is more powerful than him. Well, he was dumb enough to try to be equal to him in the yeah. beginning, so I mean, it's... But, I mean, and Seth is thrown above. No, he said, it says set up with. Oh, I thought he wanted to no. be thrown above God. No, he wanted to be equal to God. Equal, okay. but that All right, let's go ahead and pray because... Lord, we just thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you. We ask that you go with us and guide and lead us in all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.